This WrestleMania bonus show is presented by MyBookie.ag. Las Vegas may be closed, but the MyBookie Casino is open 24-7. They're also home to the free $10,000 Blackjack Madness tournament. Use the promo code SGP to receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets. That's promo code SGP to play, win, and get paid at MyBookie.ag. We're also brought to you by DGen Madness. We're giving away $3,000 in our virtual NCAA tournament. The games will be streamed live with SGP commentary and betting lines from mybookie.ag. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash contest for all the info. Thank you, Ryan and Sean, for doing that. We're also brought to you by Roman. If you're struggling with ED and you don't want to wait for treatment, get effective ED prescriptions without having to visit a doctor. Go to getroman.com slash SGP for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash SGP. We're also brought to you by PropSwap. You don't have to go to Vegas to buy Vegas bets. PropSwap is available in many states where there is no sports betting. Use the promo code SGP and get a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in paperhead providers and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. listening to a very special project here on the Dirty Sheets as we look to review every single WrestleMania and come up with a definitive top 10 list of WrestleMania's greatest matches. I am your host, Billy. I will be primarily doing this by myself unless I can convince one of my colleagues to come on with me. Don't hold your breath for Cav Manning. And I'm going to be doing this in seven parts. So it's going to be five WrestleManias per part, starting with this one, WrestleManias 1 to 5, and moving forward until we hit WrestleMania 35 in time for WrestleMania 36 next weekend. So let's have a quick recap as to what happened at WrestleMania 1 in 1985.
So there you have it. That was WrestleMania 1, where it all began Madison Square Garden back in 1985. This one didn't really have too many great matches on it. That was um, a familiar thing from the first few WrestleManias. Now, what I'm going to be doing on this series is every five WrestleManias, I will be picking out a top five from those top five WrestleManias. So from one to five, I'll be doing a top five. From five, uh, sorry, from six to 10, I'll be doing a top five. From 11 to 15, I'll be doing a top five. But during that, I will have a running order of a top 10. So by the time we get to WrestleMania 10, we would have seen enough matches to formulate a top 10. Obviously, the top five on this one is going to be the top five. But by the time we get to WrestleMania 10, we'll have a top 10. And that top 10 will continue running. It will make more sense as we plow through the podcast. So every five WrestleManias will have a top five and there will be a running top 10. And by the end of the series, by the time we get to WrestleMania 35 and it's done, we will have a WrestleMania top 10 and we also have a top five for every five WrestleManias. So as I said, one to five, six to 10, etc. In addition to that, what I'm also going to be picking out is the top five moments from each WrestleMania. And then by the end of it, we'll have a top 10 moments list as well. As I said, if this doesn't make sense now, it will definitely make sense by the time we conclude all seven parts of this podcast. Before I talk about WrestleMania 1, what I want to do is run through some facts from this WrestleMania. And I'm going to turn it over to What Culture here to give you some of the top five facts for WrestleMania 1. Number five, ST Jones misses his cue. It was the longest nine seconds in recorded history. Glorified enhancement talent, special delivery Jones was to do the honors for the monstrous King Kong Bundy. And since Vince wanted WrestleMania to kick off with a big shock or two, he was booked to lose in nine seconds, a record at the time. Of course, anyone who can count or owns a watch knows that the match was actually closer to 24 seconds. In later interviews, Bundy would say that Jones was at fault for the foul lock, claiming Jones wouldn't go to the mat when he was supposed to, where Bundy could hit the finishing splash. And Bundy also added that Jones didn't like the idea of losing in the quickie, hinting that the Bosch was an intentional f*** you. Number four, Ricky Steamboat debuted less than a month before. In early 1985, Ricky Steamboat parted ways with his longtime home territory of Jim Crockett promotions, reportedly after differences with creative head Dusty Rhodes. The dragon would quickly resurface in New York, the sort of earnest and lovable babyface that was crucial to helping Vince carve out his McManifest destiny. That is an excellent pun. F*** yourselves. Now, it's not too common for wrestlers to make it to the WrestleMania main show without a firmly rooted presence in the company, but Steamboat was certainly an exception for his WWE debut, he took part in a set of Atlanta tapings dated March the 2nd, 1985, and then it was straight over to Mania, where he was given a quick win over Matt Bourne, who would later go on to become Doink the Clown. How about that? How about that little fact? Number three, Don Morocco was kept off the show. Numerous recognizable performers were admitted from the WrestleMania card for one reason or another, and perhaps none was more conspicuous than magnificent Don Morocco. The dry-witted powerhouse and two-time former Intercontinental Champion had returned from a hiatus of several months in early 1985, now managed by Mr. Fuji. He took up a full schedule again, so his absence from the maiden WrestleMania feels a little bit odd. Morocco would later claim in a shoot interview that he was being saved to work a series of WWF Championship bouts with Hulk Hogan post-Mania, which in fairness he did, but it's still a bizarre reason to keep him off the show where a dominant victory could have made him even more of a draw. Number two, Mr. T nearly walked out on the day. The problems between Mr. T and Rowdy Roddy Piper are common knowledge. Piper wasn't the only wrestler that resented having to work with an outsider, one that hadn't put in the miles that he had. Paul 
Gough has also stated his dislike of the TV star. And Brutus Beefcake would note in a 2015 interview that Hogan had to essentially babysit a mentally frazzled Mr. T because on the day of the show, fearing that Piper and Orndorff would shoot on him, T reportedly wanted to cheese it. I really, really hope that Hogan had to drug Mr. T's milk in order to keep him around. And if you don't get that reference, you're an absolute piece of shit. Fortunately, the main event went smoothly with Piper and Mr. T cooperating on a number of entertaining spots. And number one, McMahon openly told his wrestlers it was make or break. Indeed, WrestleMania was a life and death proposition, a high-consequence gamble on the part of Mr. McMahon. He personally invested so much in the closed-circuit venture and the bold move to take a wrestling territory national that if the show had failed, so too would the World Wrestling Federation. Tito Santana claimed that McMahon openly admitted as much to the locker room, saying in a 2015 interview that Vince told his staff, we're either going to make it or we're going to go broke. But with 19,000 strong in the garden and more than 400,000 fans across the country that bought into the closed-circuit airings, WrestleMania was a huge success, and WWE would live to put on at least 32 more. So yeah, there you have it. Some of these videos are a little bit old that I'm using here to give you extra content on the show to give you more of a breakdown of these WrestleManias. But of course, we know that they've gone on to do 35 more. And unfortunately, they're going to probably push over the line and get a 36th one done next weekend. It is in the can. There is some legitimate discussions about whether they want to air this WrestleMania or not. I don't think that they should. I feel that it would be very much appreciated by most if they were to postpone this WrestleMania, disregard what they have in the can and do it properly once we get out of this situation. I'm now referring to it as a situation. We know it's the coronavirus, but the WWE don't want to use the word coronavirus on TV. I'll be dropping a story about that on the Dirty Sheets feed shortly today. But let's move on. Let's not talk about current product. Let's talk about WrestleMania 1. You have to go back and watch this event. You will not see any good matches, but you will see how the WWE put their first WrestleMania together. And you have to think back there in the time what they were trying to do. Mr. T was the main draw to this. He was a massive star at the time with the A-team. I think all of us, if we are in that age bracket of 30 to 45, would have grown up watching the A-team. So getting Mr. T on board was a massive draw. And if he had walked out, that would have been a massive disappointment. So this is essentially a one-match card, although it is occupied by a lot of names and faces that we recognize. And obviously that will become more of a factor as we move on through the WrestleManias. But as I said, you just have to watch this, really, because it's WrestleMania 1. There are faces that pop up that you recognize. Andre the Giant going up against Big John Studd when giving away the, the $15,000. That's obviously a big moment. The main event, which features everybody, you know, even Randy Orton's dad, Bob Orton, is involved in there. Superfly Jimmy Snooker involved in the finish as well, getting Orton out of the ring after he miscues and hits Paul Orndorff with the cast, giving Hulk Hogan the pin over Orndorff, of course, Roddy Piper. Didn't want to get pinned here. Uh, he didn't want to get pinned by, by anybody. It was actually a true fact that for 15 years, nobody saw Piper's shoulders pinned to the mat. So he didn't take the loss here at WrestleMania either. And there was legitimate heat between him and Mr. T. And it was quite interesting to see the exchanges they, they made in the ring. Um, I didn't think Mr. T looked too bad, seeing as he's not had a wrestling match before. This didn't come across too badly. So I think the main event was a success, much like this show, although... There isn't nothing here that I would recommend watching at all. You do have to really just go back and watch it because it is WrestleMania 1, which set the table for WrestleMania 2.
There you have it. That was WrestleMania 2, the highlights from WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 2 is a little bit of a shit show. Um, I feel sorry for some of the people in attendance in other places because WWE did decide to do this in three arenas. They got very, very big for the boots. In some ways, you could say that this is revolutionary in terms of making that decision all the way back in 1986 to make the decision that we are going to do this and stream this across three arenas once again on short circuit television we're going to look at five facts here about wrestlemania 2 number five it featured bruno sammartino's only pay-per-view match the living legend was all but retired by the early 80s so him resting on any pay-per-view was a bonus for his already illustrious career not that a battle royal appearance really compared to his lengthy wwf world championship reigns but it's good that the ultra draw got to lace up his boots on at least one pay-per-view still in quality shape at the age of 50 he made two eliminations tossing out defensive tackle ernie holmes and fellow former world champion the iron sheik number four jimmy snooker was once considered as hulk hogan opponent. This is a potentially tall tale, but it's never really been disproven either. The recently departed Superfly, who had worked Hogan's corner at the inaugural WrestleMania, claimed years later that shortly after the event, Vince McMahon quietly pitched an idea where Snooker would turn heel on the Hulkster, perhaps not until early in 1986, and work with him for the championship at WrestleMania 2. The story goes that Hogan declined the match, claiming he had no desire to work with a crazy maniac like Snooker. Number three, Jesse Ventura left the company following the show. In an attempt to garner better living wages and benefits in the wrestling world, Ventura had quietly spoken to his peers about the idea of unionizing. As Ventura would tell it, there was plenty of support for the idea until word got to McMahon himself, then oh f***ing Christ. Many job-scared wrestlers scurried away from a potential union, and Ventura reached loggerheads with McMahon, it wouldn't be the only time, and temporarily exited WWF following Mania 2. Ventura then joined the Screen Actors Guild, which provided them with the health and retirement benefits that he wanted, and the body returned to Vince's grapple orchard later that year. Number two, an injured Bobby Heenan would have been fired if he missed the show. The Brain, aka the greatest manager of all time, had dealt with serious neck issues and injuring himself in the ring earlier in the 80s. In spite of the pain, Heena would still gamely bump around at will for whatever babyface he'd sabotage, and it only exacerbated his injuries. In the days before WrestleMania 2, Heena had an MRI done in Tampa where two fractured vertebrae were discovered. He badly needed surgery, and the night before WrestleMania, while hospitalized, Heena was contacted by the office who told him if he missed his scheduled appearance in Los Angeles, he'd be fired. Heena checked himself out, flew to LA, bumped for Hogan after the steel cage match, caught an early morning flight back to Tampa, and returned to the same hospital. You utter legend. And number one is the only traditional 
steel cage match in WrestleMania history. That is hard to believe. Steel cage matches have been a staple of WWE and wrestling in general for decades. The ideal blow-off match. Yet at WrestleMania, there have only been four cage-based matches to date. Three of them have been Hell in a Cell matches, pitting The Undertaker against someone vaguely corporate. Hogan versus Bundy marked the only appearance of the standard cage format at a WrestleMania. Given WWE's preference to have cage matches end with some form of escape, it's certainly possible that the company preferred to have major feuds blown off with a pinfall or submission on the big stage, rendering their uses of cages moo. You know, like a cow's opinion. Doesn't matter. It's moo. So that was your breakdown of WrestleMania 2's top five facts. As I said prior to playing that piece of audio, it was not the best card of all time. It was a very, very difficult WrestleMania to pull off, especially in 1986. So you have to give them credit for trying that. You'd have to give them credit for even trying it now if they tried to go to three locations. It was well ahead of its time. I will give them credit for that. But to do this in the second year of WrestleMania, I think was a mistake. And as I said, I felt sorry for various arenas here having to watch this on screens because nobody here at these arenas, I don't know what they paid back then, but nobody got value for money. If we uh, run through this chronologically, we started the show over in New York where we did get to see uh, Macho Man Randy Savage against George Steele. Some iconic pictures here of George Steele biting the turnbuckle, etc. And this kind of did lead on to the great match we have next year with Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat, but not a good match here with Randy Savage beating him. We got to see Jake the Snake Roberts here make his WrestleMania debut, and then we saw a boxing match between... Roddy Piper and Mr. T, which didn't have a clean finish and looked like a very bad version of Rocky. And by the end of it, we had fans cheering for Roddy Roddy Piper, which may have been instrumental in turning him babyface. So then we turned over to Chicago, where nothing much happened till the WWF versus NFL Battle Royal. This was an iconic moment from WrestleMania 2. This was probably the key takeaway, that moment where the refrigerator pulled out Big John Studd and, of course, Andre the Giant standing tall at the end in his yellow trunks. That is an iconic image and could potentially make our top five. And one match that makes our top five was the final match here in Chicago, which was the Bulldogs winning the tag team titles from the Dream Team, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine. So... With that said, I guess Chicago out of the three would be the place to go. Los Angeles main evented with Hogan and Bundy on top. Not much else to see before that. Um, Ricky Steamboat and Hercules wasn't even a good match either, and that opened things up in Chicago. But Hogan going over Bundy in the steel cage and juicing for that and having a 10-minute match, which wasn't terrible. But again, if this was the main event of a four-match card, you would have been disappointed here. And I think overall disappointment would be the key word here for WrestleMania, especially for those attending and getting those four matches in and having to watch this across screens. I don't think it would have been so bad on short circuit. And I would actually argue that this was a slight improvement on WrestleMania 1, but it wasn't until WrestleMania 3 when things really got going. So let's have a listen to the highlights from WrestleMania 3. This is going to be a fight. There comes the Goldilocks. 
as the Clippers be put to good use by Brutus Beefcake. There will only be one winner. This dragon is being on fire. I will come away with the championship coach and see new horizon. Jake the Snake Roberts with Damian and Alice Cooper. We haven't seen the last of this confrontation. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Look at the size of the giant. He's So there you have it. The biggest WrestleMania of all time as far as attendance goes up until WrestleMania 32, allegedly. This was WrestleMania 3 in Detroit, the Pontiac Silverdome, the most famous WrestleMania of all time, in my opinion, and the most famous image as well with Hogan slamming Andre. That moment would come into question in terms of whether it could retain its number one spot at WrestleMania 30 with the end of the streak, but we will cover that when we get there. In the meantime, we're going to just stick to WrestleMania 3, of course, and we're going to look at five facts from WrestleMania 3 before we break down the rest of the show. Number five, the six-man tag was meant to take pressure off Dynamite Kid. Conspicuous by its absence from WrestleMania 3 was a tag team championship match. The Hart Foundation would presumably have put the gold on the line against a team they screwed over for them, the British Bulldogs. It seemed like a logical bout, but Dynamite Kid's health was a concern. The real-life Tom Billington suffered a horrific back injury in December 1986, necessitating the title switch and the probable end of Dynamite's career. Bret Hart later asserted that the six-man tag Attacking on conniving official Danny Davis with the Hearts and Tino Santana with the Bulldogs would prevent the need for Dynamite to throw himself around with reckless abandon. Number four, Randy Savage faxed a script of his match to Ricky Steamboat. The method to Randy Savage's macho madness was careful preparation. One of the reasons so many performers had the match of their lives with the macho man is that Savage would meticulously plan out the body of the match in advance. In an era where wrestlers were much more likely to be calling it in the ring, Savage preferred exact choreography. Steamboat was one of those veterans used to free-forming it between the ropes. He was a little taken aback when Savage literally faxed him the bullet points for how their Intercontinental Championship clash would go, with each bullet point being rehearsed meticulously on house shows leading up to the event. Can't say it didn't work. Savage and Steamboat put together the best WWF match of the 1980s and ushered in a faster-paced, false-finish-laden style that becomes standard in later years. Number three, Jimmy Hart injured himself during the Damien sequence. Jake Roberts and Honky Tonk Man had their work cut out for them trying to follow the Savage Steamboat classic, but it was enjoyable. The presence of macabre rocker Alice Cooper in Robert's Corner added some zest to the affair, even if the megastar was about as animated as a plate of beans. After the match, Roberts held Jimmy Hart, Honky's manager, in place, whilst Cooper menaced Hart with Roberts' trademark python, Damien. Turns out Hart had a legitimate fear of snakes, and while struggling to get away, he badly strained his neck. Number two, Paul Orndorff was ready to replace Andre. It took a ton of convincing for McMahon to get Andre the Giant to agree to the main event match at WrestleMania 3. Andre was 40 years old and in constant pain, his back and joints bearing weight that joints aren't meant to bear. Andre agreed and underwent radical back surgery to try and get him to the massive payday. In the event that Andre was unable to perform that night, Vince commissioned longtime Hogan villain Paul Orndorff to wait in the wings as a possible stand-in. It wouldn't have been the same and there probably would have been a riot, but Orndorff would have been a suitable enough last resort. And number one, Andre drank 14 bottles of wine before his match with Hogan. What the living f***? 
Andre's drinking stories are legendary, like him, and gigantic, like him. We've all heard the one about Andre drinking 116 12-ounce beers in a single sitting. Some stories claim it was 156. So downing 14 bottles of wine before the most famous wrestling match in history probably doesn't raise too many eyebrows. With a back brace tucked into the one-strap singlet that he wore for the first time ever that night, Andre was as juiced as he could get before the showcase of his life. Everyone remembers the body slam, but not as many people know what Andre put himself through just to get to the iconic moment. So uh, there you have it. There are the top five facts here from WrestleMania 3. I uh, think other than WrestleMania 17, this is the WrestleMania I watched back the most, I think especially as a kid. But it was just done so well. Yeah, Hogan versus Andre isn't a masterpiece, but the build-up to this was so simplistic. And WWE went down the real fight bill mode. There was an actual tale of the tape. There were actual press conferences to build this up. And if you don't believe me, just have a listen to this. Are you afraid of a giant? You know, anybody in their right mind wouldn't be nervous. You know, the man's seven foot five, seven foot four, five hundred pounds. I'd like to see any any man in here get in the ring with him and laugh about it. You know, uh, it's a mixture of emotions. You know, when I think about climbing in the ring with Andre the Giant, I'm nervous. If it was under uh, normal conditions, if it was the old Andre that uh, you know. Kind. The old Andre, man. The old Andre that was different, you know. Yeah. Well, everybody can see you've changed. Otherwise, you wouldn't even, uh, you would have went ahead and never would have got back into wrestling with Bobby Heenan, even if it took him. He's the only one who backed me up. No one of you guys show up. Well, anyway, the nervousness, or maybe you could call it being scared, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's changed. I mean, you know. When I think about Andre the Giant, I mean, you know, my palms are sweating right now just, just thinking about climbing in the ring with him. Uh, but uh, when you get in the ring and you're fighting for something, you believe in the world title. I mean, you know, all the fans and the friends, you know, the people that stood behind you, you know, that nervousness or maybe you, you want to call it scared, whatever you want to call it, that's all going to change. When it comes time for the match, I won't be afraid. You know, there's things that you have to do in life, and one of them is uh, fighting someone named John Free that uh, says he hasn't changed, you know. Uh, I'm just curious why I didn't have Bobby Heenan as a manager for 15 years if uh, he's still the same. So uh, really, really good stuff there, even using his real name there back in 1987. So... The perfect build for this match, as far as I'm concerned. Great heel turn by Andre the Giant here. It was subtle, just simply implementing the services of Bobby Heenan to challenge for the title, claiming that he was unbeaten for 15 years, and then obviously doing the honours for Hogan in a massive moment. But there were other moments on this card. I mean, if you look at Bundy squashing the midget, that midgets, that's good to go back and watch, and all of that that happened. Uh, obviously, Savage and Steamboat there. Uh, Dynamite Kid... British Bulldog and Tito Santana against Davis and Bret Hart and Jimmy Anvil Neidhart in a six-man tag. That is a decent match as well. That is a um, sleeper match that actually makes it into my top five list from WrestleMania 1 to 5. So plenty to watch here on this show. All the big names that we know of are now beginning to emerge. I think the real familiarity with wrestling began for most people, not at WrestleMania 1 and 2, but around about here. And then we became even bigger fans, I think, through the through the 90s heading on towards the Attitude Era but I think most people our age really remember Hogan Warrior Savage 
And although Warrior's not here yet, Savage is on a prominent match on the card. Andre the Giant's here against Hulk Hogan. We've still got Bundy. We've got Jake the Snake Roberts in this on this card in a match with Honky Tonk Man. All your, all your Hasbro figures here are in action here in this 1987 massive WrestleMania here at Pontiac Silverdome, which they claim broke the world attendance record here of 93,000. Although, obviously, Hulk Hogan in future interviews has blown this number up to about 2 million people in attendance. But let's not harp on about... Um, negative things here because I'm just loving this WrestleMania. Even Vince McMahon comes across as a babyface at the start and especially when you go on to hear interviews about him feeling the presence of his dad and his dad being proud of him as he achieved this great moment of filling up this stadium and setting this world outdoor attendance record here at the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania 3. Iconic moment, massive, unforgettable WrestleMania, forever cemented in the top five manias. Not necessarily for match quality but for what they managed to achieve for the faces on show and for the moments that it delivered love love wrestlemania 3 you have to go out of your way to go and watch this one as we move on to wrestlemania 4 have it randy savage winning the tournament to become the new wwf champion the vacant championship won by randy savage here in a 14-man tournament why 14-man we'll talk more about that in a minute and we'll talk about the other matches on this card as wrestlemania went to the trump plaza went away from the stadiums and went to trump trump plaza and we'll talk about that as well but first let me talk about Randy Savage winning the WWF Championship. According to many sources, he was not supposed to win this tournament. Randy Savage's moment was supposed to go to the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, as this audio that I dug up from What Culture supports. Ted DiBiase was originally booked to win the tournament. Shock of shock, Savage's big night was originally not meant to be. Stories have made the rounds that the million dollar man was supposed to escape Atlantic City with the goal. Based on the original brackets, the quarters would have been Hulk Andre, Rude Morocco, Savage Valentine, and Gang DiBiase. Hulk would have won but barely survived against Andre, taking a heavy toll on him. Rude would have beat Morocco, Savage would have toppled Valentine, and DiBiase would have paid Gang to fake an injury and forfeit their match. In the semis, an exhausted Hogan would outlast Rude, and DiBiase would use chicanery to beat 
beat Savage, the final would have been DiBiase beating Hogan by countout with Andre's help to win the belt, and Hogan would have chased DiBiase for the gold throughout the summer. So what happened? The Honky Tonk Man refused to drop the Intercontinental title to Savage in February, and WWF apparently didn't have the means to force him to do so. So they reconfigured the tournament brackets to have Savage beat DiBiase in the finals to have at least one babyface champion. There was apparently major heat for some time between Honky and DiBiase over this, and the million dollar belt was created as something of a consolation prize for DiBiase as a result. I think that's f***ing interesting. Yep, it certainly is massively interesting how the Honky Tonk Man not wanting to lose the Intercontinental title allegedly changed the entire fate of wrestling and the WWF Championship here for this tournament to be won by Randy Savage and delivering us that iconic moment here of Liz on Randy's shoulders with Hulk Hogan in the ring and Savage becoming the WWF Champion for the first time. It almost never happened, but unfortunately that is the real only takeaway moment here. There is no real explanation as to why WWF went from a massive stadium show to the Trump Plaza. If you listen to something to wrestle with, there is a slight explanation on there in terms of WWE having all of their tickets pre-sold for them at a higher rate as part of a casino package, but that doesn't really hold too much weight because you're letting in people here that are casino goers and not WWF fans, and that is going to subdue the atmosphere, which it certainly did. At times, this crowd were very quiet, and I don't blame them because there wasn't too much great action here. So, revenues are up, man. You know, you're going to talk about just under 17 million, roughly 17 million. Uh, and that's between your live gate and your pay per views and your closed circuit. But it's been said that against expectations, WrestleMania 4 was a bit of a disappointment because you were on such a high at WrestleMania 3, and a lot of people had an expectation that you were going to be able to do more than 20 million, some folks even speculating as high as 26 million based on the success of the main event, which we're going to cover in a minute, and also just the momentum that you had from three. But you also consider, and this is something that I think people sort of lose sight of, the pay-per-view concept was much more readily available in 88 than it was in 87. Do you remember WrestleMania four? being financially successful but not necessarily meeting expectations i don't know that anyone really had specific expectations per se i think that overall looking at it we were looking at this as a launch pad for the next year we knew that it was kind of the closing of a chapter at least we thought at the time for hulk for a while and andre so this was a new beginning we knew that kind of after the fact that, okay, we're going to have to rebuild again. The tournament concept, I think, kind of took away a little bit of the luster of having the big WrestleMania match, even though promotion-wise and everybody that looks at the goes back and looks at the promotion, the promotion was all about Hulk Andre. Um, I don't know. I don't know what expectations were. I think everyone was happy with the end result, though. In the end, ticket sales were slow for this. You guys sold out WrestleMania three much faster, and this show was slower to sell. Um, how much of that do you blame on the location? How much of that do you blame on ticket prices? How much do you blame on the tournament concept? 
I think that the majority, you know, probably had to do with the combination of ticket prices and location. Atlantic City was not, especially at that time, was not the family-friendly locale that people wanted to gather the kids up and come down and go to some wrestling matches, uh, no matter what it was, even if it was in Trump Plaza. They you still had a fight to get them in there. So I think it's a combination of the locale and ticket prices. I feel like I should mention, too, uh, pay-per-view wasn't really a thing outside of the United States and Canada. So the idea would be to sell the international rights for additional money later. Then you've got all the merch you're going to sell for WrestleMania through the magazines and mail order. And, of course, the actual event itself was going to sell merch. But maybe most of all, you've got the video cassette. And we started talking about WrestleMania 4 with my memory of seeing it on VHS. And back then, of course... The VHS business and that whole rental market was much different. Talk to me about how those deals were put together. Because from my recollection, you guys were selling the tapes for a much higher price than what you would later sell DVDs for. And the rental stores are doing major business. This is way before OTT and Netflix and all that stuff. So I imagine the rental stores are just buying bundles of these things. Can you ballpark the value of a VHS deal for WrestleMania? Well, WrestleMania was, without a doubt, the largest videotape sales of any videotape title in the Coliseum Library each year. People waited for that WrestleMania show to come out on VHS. I, again, God, I really don't remember the exact number. I think it was sixty nine ninety five is what the, the cost of the tape was. The allure of WrestleMania four was it was a double tape, as you stated earlier. It was a two-cassette tape, essentially for the price of one. So people are getting four hours and all. You know, we did extra Coliseum exclusive for that. But, yeah, WrestleMania, all of the WrestleMania titles each year for Coliseum Video, those were the best sellers. Uh, of course, about seven weeks prior to the show, you guys managed to pull off the impossible. The main event on NBC in prime time, and it has Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant in front of a record that still stands today, 33 million people for a 15.2 rating. And we covered that show in long form in our archives over at YouTube.com forward slash something to wrestle. And Bruce, on the heels of that main event show, expectations for WrestleMania had to be higher than ever before, were they not? Awareness was definitely higher than ever before, and I think that that was people, the, the interest of everyone seeing it for the first time on the main event on NBC. So, yeah, we were definitely hoping that we had reached a whole new audience and that people were interested as to what was going to happen with the WWF championship. The last, for a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, they only tuned in to the NBC show. Some followed over on syndication, but there was a lot of interest in February. So uh, that was Bruce Pritchard's take on things for WrestleMania 4. Thought it was interesting to get that on there because there's a lot of stuff out about this WrestleMania. For me, I do remember the double tape. I think everybody loved having that double tape with Hulk and Andre on the cover. Hulk and Andre was the main draw coming into this off the back of that massive rating on Saturday night's main event where they did take the title of Hogan, which set up this tournament because... 
Hogan was screwed by the two Hepner referees and then Andre sold the title to Ted DiBiase, which wasn't allowed, and Jack Tunney set up this tournament, which was won by Savage, but was originally scheduled to be won by the Million Dollar Man. I would encourage people more so to go out and check out the February 1988 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event than this WrestleMania. This WrestleMania has a great moment with Savage at the end, a moment that will be making it into our top five, but... Not a lot of good matches. The competition, or uh, rather the tournament, I should say, itself is difficult to watch at times. A lot of people are eliminated with protected finishes. Hogan and Andre himself with the double DQ. The one-man gang on a DQ. There's buys here. Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick Rude have a terrible 15-minute bore of a match, which is um, a double elimination because the time limit expires. It's mostly rest holds. These two men are highly regarded workers and legends, but they really don't turn up here at WrestleMania 4. And WrestleMania 4 does labour along. If you're a kid, it's easy to watch. You love putting it on the double tape. You just love wrestling at the time. You get the tournament here. You get Savage winning. You get Hulk and Andre. You get Demolition winning the tag belts. You get the Ultimate Warriors WrestleMania debut. You get Battle Royal at the start. So lots here to love as a kid. And it is a very nostalgic show. But years later, especially with modern day wrestling and how exciting it is in, in terms of performance this one kind of labours along it's a difficult four hours to watch as I said I would sort of skip through it make sure you do see Savage winning the tournament do pick out a few bits like Demolition winning their tag titles and starting their long tag run if you can find the Warrior match watch that even though it's difficult to watch not a very good match with Hercules the battle roll at the start isn't too bad with um, Bret Hart turning babyface but um it's mainly about the tournament, but I would more so recommend the precursor to this, which is Saturday night's main event with that finish between Andre and Hogan, possibly one of the greatest finishes of all time. Still, it still stands up here in 2020, the 1988, February 1988, Saturday night's main event between Hogan and Andre. But... Let's move on from WrestleMania 4 on to WrestleMania 5, where we surprisingly stayed at Trump Plaza, despite the difficult ticket sales. Now... I, I heard Bruce say that, or Conrad point out that ticket sales weren't going as well as WrestleMania 5. But what we didn't get in the audio was the part where um, Pritchard mentioned that the WWE did get their money up front, and then it was down to the arena to sell the tickets. So they'd already given WWE their money or WWF their money and it was down to them to sell this in the casino package because WrestleMania off the back of WrestleMania 3 was big so there was a bidding war for it which was won by Donald Trump and obviously despite the fact that the show kind of dragged and the crowd responses weren't quite there and the fact that they sold out WrestleMania 3 and it was seen as a downgrade to go to this arena for WrestleMania 4 WWF return there for WrestleMania 5. Let's listen to some of the highlights. Cheap. 
So there we have it, WrestleMania 5, Randy Savage's one-year run as WWF champion, ended by Hulk Hogan as the mega powers exploded here at WrestleMania 5. They did a one-year journey where they had Hogan helping Savage fight off Andre and DiBiase winning the title. Then they paired up at SummerSlam. They paired up at numerous pay-per-views until it all went wrong for them on an edition of Saturday Night's main event. A lot of people looked at this as Hulk Hogan coming between Elizabeth and Savage. So not everybody saw Hulk Hogan as the white meat babyface here because Savage and Liz were an established couple. And Hulk Hogan really did get between them here in the eyes of a lot of people. And that sentiment is echoed by a number of people that spoke about this feud back in 1989 between Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, the mega powers exploding here at WrestleMania 5. Elizabeth, where she has never been before, on top of another man. 
Hogan, I'd swallow that one too. Only because I thought that Elizabeth wanted to keep the mega powers together. And we were together again. Hit the Survivor Series, yeah. Where were you? Handcuffed to the second rope. That's inside the squirt circle while the macho man was meeting everybody head on and single-handedly brought us to victory, yeah. But then after the Survivor Series, yeah, you, Hulk Hogan, hit the stoop lower than even you have ever done before, yeah. More proof, Hulk Hogan, that you got lost in your black cart for Elizabeth, yeah. And you got jealousy for the World Wrestling Federation champion, yeah. Trying to steal the thunder of the champion while at WrestleMania 5, yeah. You won't steal my thunder, no. And you won't steal my manager, Elizabeth, because she's going to be in the macho man's corner, yeah. And you're not going to steal the World Wrestling Federation championship, Oh, no, you're not, Hulk Hogan, no. Because when I climb through those ropes, and when you take a look at the madness's eyes, all you're gonna see is complete and utter rage! What a promo there from Randy Savage to build up this match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 5. Before we talk about WrestleMania 5 and break it down and give you our top five matches from WrestleMania 1 to 5 and the top five moments of WrestleMania 1 to 5. Let's look at five facts here from WrestleMania 5. Number five, Roddy Piper's appearance was initially a one-shot deal. What's often misunderstood regarding the 1989 return of the hot rod to the WWF fold is the idea that WrestleMania V was the beginning of his comeback. Yes, it was the first televised appearance for the company in two years, but it wouldn't be for another month that Piper officially rejoined the WWF roster. Until then, Piper fielded offers from both Vince's company and WCW, trying to work out the best possible deal for himself. McMahon won, and soon Piper was back on the house show circuit, working with Ted DiBiase on a run through California. Number four, Rick Martel was nearly denied entry into the U.S. One of the more memorable occurrences on WrestleMania 5 was the dissolution of Strike Force. Rick Martel was accidentally struck by Tino Santana, his partner. Martel then deserted him, leaving Santana to get pounced on by the Brain Busters. The angle was well executed and breathed life into Martel, who found his calling as a preening arsehole, soon to be known as The Model. As it turns out, there was very real danger of the angle not taking place. French-Canadian Martel had found it really difficult to get back into the States in time for WrestleMania, having to work out visa issues. Fortunately, everything was settled in the nick of time, and the heel turn was able to take place without a hitch. Number three, Bobby Heenan was legitimately injured by the Ultimate Warrior. There have been many stars of yesteryear that had little patience for the Warrior for one reason or another. Heenan's made his feelings known about the face-painted muscle man, dismissing him as a buffoon with no idea what he was doing in the ring. After all, the brain has some insight into what Warrior could do between the ropes based on first-hand experience. When Heenan aided Rick Rude in his upset victory over IC champ Warrior, the post-match angle was to see Warrior assault the manager in an act of riled-up vengeance. Sure enough, Warrior picked Heenan up into his trademark gorilla press but dropped him awkwardly. Heenan's neck had been bothering him for years and the fall only exacerbated the residual pain he felt until he finally had to have much needed surgery in the mid 90s. Number two, WWF snuck a 900 number commercial onto Clash of the Champions. More than likely you've seen TNA commercials during episodes of Raw before all is fair in love and war, that's fine. And nobody seemed to love harassing the competition more than Vincent K. McMahon and WWF as the 1980s territorial conquest proved. When WCW ran a free Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat to out three falls match for the championship of the world on cable opposite WrestleMania 5, McMahon 
struck back. The block of commercials after the match on TBS included one paid for by WWF, promoting a 900 number that you could call to obtain WrestleMania results. You know those numbers where you pay by the minute. It wasn't like there was widespread internet for getting the results back then, so if you wanted to know who won Hogan versus Savage, you had to fork over some cash to Uncle Vinny. And number one, Savage lost a belt despite selling out arenas as a heel champion. In hindsight, it's hard to envision WrestleMania 5 without Hogan standing tall. It's a WWE way most of the time to give its audience a happy ending that fits the story they want to tell. Hogan felling Savage to recapture the gold was as inevitable as the sunrise, but there were plenty who argued that Savage should have retained the belt perhaps with a DQ finish as it made good business sense. After Macho Man turned on Hogan, the show's headlined by Savage in the ensuing weeks sold out, whether he was working heel versus heel matches with Bad News Brown or champion versus champion bouts with Warrior. Boston, St. Louis, Chicago, San Francisco, and New York are just some of the cities where the detestable Savage proved to be a true money-spinning bastard. So there you go, five facts about WrestleMania 5. Randy Savage gets screwed again. Interesting fact there at the end that he was still doing well as a heel champion and there was a big push or an argument, not a big push, an argument that could have been made for him to keep the title, but I don't think a big push because ultimately Hogan must pose. We've heard that on a lot of podcasts in relation to Vince McMahon's attitude towards Hulk Hogan was probably desperate to get the belt back on him. Even the following year when Warrior had the belt and was doing decent business for the WWE, they still wanted to get the belt back on Hogan by WrestleMania 7, and Hogan didn't even want to do a rematch where he won it back off the Warrior. But we'll talk about that when we get to those podcasts. WrestleMania 6 to 10, that is coming soon. This is WrestleMania 1 to 5. And just to touch on WrestleMania 5, a lot of people see it as a one-match card here, and we've talked a lot about Hogan and Savage, but this is the best WrestleMania so far out of the five that we've covered, and there's a lot of decent stuff on it. Uh, Rick Rude carries Ultimate Warrior to a very decent match on this card, and it's a major upset, possibly the biggest upset um, at WrestleMania up until this time with um, Rick Rude winning the Intercontinental title for the Warrior, which the Warrior did win back at SummerSlam 1989, and then, of course, was built for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6. But here you see a big, big upset. And um, Warrior's only WrestleMania loss here as he loses to Ravishing Rick Rude here at WrestleMania 5. So that is well worth watching. And that in itself, I have have down as a WrestleMania moment here. Warrior's only WrestleMania loss. I do have it as one of my top five WrestleMania moments coming out of this. In addition to that, we have a decent match between the Twin Towers and the Rockers. It almost made the top five. It's Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania debut, so that's worth watching as well. And a, um, a really, really nice, neat and tidy match here between um, Mr. Perfect and the Blue Blazer, which is Owen Hart. I would almost say that this match is perfect, um, and no pun intended there. It was kept nice and short. It was the debut as well of Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning's new ring attire, which we'd become synonymous with over the years. So that's worth watching as well. In fact, I would say that this entire WrestleMania is worth watching. It certainly is the best of the bunch that we've covered, and it has the best main event of all the WrestleManias that we've covered. Not the best match because it doesn't hold up to Savage's effort the year before, but it certainly does come in into second place here when you're looking at the top five WrestleMania matches from WrestleMania 1 to 5. So to complete that list here for the top five matches from WrestleMania 1 to 5, they go as follows. Number one, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania 3 with Savage losing his Intercontinental Championship to Ricky Steamboat. Number two is the main event here from WrestleMania 5 with Randy Savage dropping the WWF Championship back to Hulk Hogan. 
And those are two matches that everybody probably expected to creep into this top five, but maybe the others might surprise you. Number three, quite high up here, and a match that probably a lot of people haven't even bothered going to watch. It's the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis against the Bulldogs and Tito Santana. I have that one in at third. A very, very good six-man tag from WrestleMania 3. Number four, as I said, pretty much a perfect little short match here where Mr. Perfect goes over Owen Hart dressed as the Blue Blazer at WrestleMania 5. No fault to pick with this one. It was a little bit short, but sometimes you want those matches. You don't always need long 15, 20-minute matches here to break into the top five list. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this match at all. It's pretty much perfect. It does its job. Owen Hart is established as a good high flyer who makes a mistake that Perfect capitalizes on because he's perfect and can continues his perfect winning streak perfect for what it needed to be and therefore deservedly gets into my top five and for fourth for fifth place here it was a little bit tight there were a lot of matches that i actually considered that could have crept in here i even considered the main event from wrestlemania one the cage match between hogan and bundy uh, nothing from WrestleMania 4, but uh, a matchup from WrestleMania 2 between um, the Dream Teams and the British Bulldogs. I did mention and that was the best match on that card as well. But what sneaks in for me is the effort between the Warrior and Rick Rude. I think Rick Rude always managed to carry Warrior to something respectable in their matches. They had a good match at um, SummerSlam 1989 and then another good match at SummerSlam 1990 where they main evented... <clears throat> in the uh, blue steel cage where Rick Rude lost to the Armored Warrior in his first pay-per-view title defense. So Rick Rude always manages to squeeze something out of the Warrior, and I think this match deserves its spot here in the top five. And of course, that Rick Rude win over the Warrior doubles up as a must-see moment here, coming in at number five on the list of my must-see moments. We're going to run these ones in reverse order. So as I said, number five, Rick Rude upsetting Warrior with the help of Bobby Heenan for the WWF Intercontinental Championships. Number four, I've gone with Andre the Giant winning the Battle Royal, the WWF NFL Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2. A big iconic moment. You see Andre in his yellow trunks raising his hand as he wins this battle royal, lastly eliminating the Hart Foundation. There was also a big moment in that match I considered where the refrigerator pulled out Big John Stud. But I think the iconic image of Andre winning the battle royal has been used year in, year out. There was also another moment from WrestleMania 2 that just about missed out here on this top five, which was, of course, Ozzy Osbourne shouting the Bulldogs forever as the British, Bulldog won, British Bulldogs won the WWF Tag Team Championships. Obviously, that moment has become more significant over the years as Ozzy Osbourne has maintained his fame since 1986 but that also narrowly missed out along with the fridge pulling out Big John Studd Andre the Giant gets fourth place Hogan's second championship win comes in at number three as he beat the macho man Randy Savage for his second WWF championship the first man at the time to become a two-time champion number two is Savage's title win Liz over his shoulders with Hogan also in the ring, does eclipse the Hulk Hogan moment of winning the belt back from Savage. It is a moment that lasts in the memory of everybody, even until this day. And this one could stick in the top 10 for quite some time. Maybe end up finishing there when this is all said and done. And number one, this one certainly will, as it is debatably 
debatably the number one moment in the history of WrestleMania. I think it's going to be tight when it comes to WrestleMania 30 between this and Brock Lesnar beating the streak. And it is, of course, the body slam heard around the world as Hulk Hogan lift up that 700-pound stinky giant brother in front of 2 million people at the Pontiac Silverdome. But factually... More close to 83,000, although the WWF did publicize 93,000. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter how much Andre weighed or how tall he was. This was a massive moment. The end of the match at WrestleMania 3 as Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant with the body slam and leg drop combination. When you're looking at these moments... You're trying to pretty much encapsulate 60 seconds. That's why we're not having entire matches in here. The entire match list is different to the moments and uh, that will become more apparent. And of course, as we move on to the next set of podcasts, which will be WrestleMania 6 to 10, we will be introducing a running order, a running order of top 10 moments and a running order of top 10 matches so you really will see the difference and of course we'll be continuing doing an individual top five moments and top five matches from each of the next five wrestlemanias but at the moment seeing as we've only done five these are the moments that stick by i'll run through them again and the matches savage steamboat number one savage hogan number two the Hearts and Danny davis against the bulldogs and tio santana at three perfect versus the boo blazer at four and the Warrior versus Rick Froude at number five. And the must-see moments. Number one, Hogan slamming Andre. Number two, Savage winning the title. Number three, Hogan winning the title of WrestleMania five. Number four, Andre wins the battle royal. And number five, the biggest upset in WrestleMania history up until this point with Ravishing Rick Rude beating the Ultimate Warrior for the WWF Intercontinental Championship with the help of Bobby the Brain Heenan. That is the end of this episode. That is your first edition of your WrestleMania mania rundowns as we run through all of the wrestlemanias now all future parts for this will exclusively be going on to the patreon page i've posted this one onto the dirty sheets so you can get a feel for what the shows are maybe uh, when we get a little bit deeper into these podcasts i'll post out one more so you guys can see what's happening with the in running top 10 lists for the best moments and the best matches but the final list that will be exclusive to patreon a majority of these episodes will be exclusive to patreon so to get involved you need to head over to dirtysheets.net obviously this list just consists of my opinion and I'll be interested to hear everybody else's opinion. Hit me up at the Dirty Sheets, Dirty Sheets Facebook page and of course on the Patreon page as well. We are doing a ton of content here to make up for the fact there is no sports betting at the moment, which is some of the stuff we were doing over at Dirty Sheets. We were giving out sports betting picks and sports betting podcasts. That's now gone, so we are primarily focusing on wrestling, and this is the one of the things that we're doing. So your support would be appreciated over at DirtySheets.net. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy the rest of the WrestleMania podcast. We have four more to come, and until then, thanks for listening, guys.
It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier has arrived on Disney+. Plus. The world is upside down. We can't lose this fight, Bucky. If we do this, we're going to do it our own way. Experience the six-episode event. We're partners, co-workers. Not necessarily the team. No. We look damn good. Marvel Studios' The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus.